And I want to pursue that a little bit more in depth for the next mm, short six months or so. All right, let's pray. Lord, as we study your word, we ask you to give us help, insight, revelation, and understanding. We want to be agents of faith in our community, agents of faith in our own lives. And so we trust you today in Jesus' name, amen. I want to present to you the idea that faith is fought in the trenches of what we hear and see. Faith is fought in the trenches of what we hear and what we see. So faith and fear are actually rivals. Faith and fear are rivals. And one of them is going to win in your life. Faith and fear are rivals. So I got to thinking about rivalries. Anybody have sibling rivalry in your family? You know, like your brother or whatever. So I I booted this up for you right here. Sometime I feel ugly. Then I look at my brother and get over it. (laughs) So uh, there we go. There's a rivalry. And uh, uh, see, Pastor Moy, I asked him uh, about a rivalry, and I thought this was great for him. We set our DVR to record Biggest Loser. It keeps recording the Oakland Raider games. So... uh, There we go. How's that for a little rivalry? Now, this one I want to vote on right here. This one is in in honor of my friend Howard Hanson. Uh, This is a major rivalry. Mayonnaise or Miracle Whip? Uh, Okay, okay. Rivalry. Let's do uh, Miracle Whip say aye. Uh-oh. We're losing, Howie. Mayonnaise. Oh, no. What a rivalry. Howard, because I love you, you can have the mayonnaise. I'm keeping the miracle with. All right. It's funny. This little device right here is a new camera I'm trying out, and uh, it live streams to four places all at the same time. So uh, we're on Facebook Live, YouTube, theoretically, uh, me, Vimeo, and somewhere else. And uh, so for all of y'all, anybody watching, Howard? 12 people online with my new, this is a test run. And so, uh, uh, for all you guys out there, you can, you can vote. But anyways, in the first service, some people were replying on Facebook Live and they put miracle in all these ugly faces. So I think they don't like miracle whip. And, uh, so we just, miracle whip or mayonnaise, it's a rivalry. Well, fear and faith are a rivalry in our hearts. And it's a sort of an unnecessary rivalry, but maybe the nature of human beings is to be afraid. Maybe uh, Adam and Eve hiding from God in the garden was the first evidence of fear. And so maybe from the very beginning of our life as fallen creatures, uh, our DNA got tweaked a little bit to be afraid. Now, fear of a bear is a big deal. Ever been close to a bear? And uh, when I was a kid, I grew up in uh, Barrow, of course, and uh, they had the Arctic Naval Research Laboratory, ANRL, and they had these polar bears in cages, and then there was a wall, and, and so you could get about two feet away from the bar. That's about as far away as you could get from these, and because and, there's the wall and there's the bar. And, and we're, we stay over by the door. We're looking. We had this guest, and he was wearing a seal skin hat. And uh, he goes up there, and he goes, look how slow these ugly things are. Whap! That bear reached his paw through the bar and sent that hat flying. And, uh, and that dude was like, oh, these are real animals. You know what I'm saying? Don't feed the bears. And, uh, and, uh, and so you, you get, maybe from Adam and Eve, it's natural. 
uh, from that time till now, it's natural to be afraid of a bear. But God, a right relationship with God and to fear God is not natural. You weren't made to fear God. You were made to love God. Into your DNA coding was written a love for God and because it fell. So people say sin is natural. Sin is natural because we sin. But you are designed naturally to love the Lord. It is natural for you to love God. Now, the natural man, as Paul calls it, is opposed to God. But if you understand my illustration, you weren't really made to fear. That was something that came later as a result of Adam and Eve's sin, in my opinion. So this rivalry between fear and faith is going to be your life's biggest fight. It's going to be life's biggest fight. First Timothy 6, Paul is training up a young minister, and I was a young minister once. Now I get to help young ministers, and this is great advice to every minister. Fight the good fight of faith. The bummer about it is it's a fight. The good thing about it is it's a good fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. There's this thing in God where you reach out and you take hold of something. You've had it in your mind. You, you know that by his stripes we are healed, but now it's your child that's sick. And all the medical science is saying your child cannot make it, but you learn how to reach out and take hold of divine healing for your baby. You learn how to take hold of divine grace for your wayward daughter or son. You learn how to take hold of divine grace for your upcoming exam. And you realize, you know what? There's going to be a fight on this thing, and I am not going to yield to fear. I am going to fight the good fight of faith in this rivalry, and I am going to fight to my last breath in faith. Amen. I'm going to fight to my last breath in faith. I'm going to take hold of eternal life. I'm going to take hold of what God promises. Old song warning, every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every, this is the book, every chapter, every verse, every line. Brothers and sisters, there is so many promises right here in this book that people don't know how to lay hold on. It's like, hold it, I'm going to fight for this thing. I'm going to fight for this promise of God. I'm going to, I'm going to learn to have this strong fight of faith on behalf of those I love, on behalf of my own life. Fight carries in Greek some interesting stuff. Uh, in case uh, you didn't know this, maybe, the word fight in this passage is related to the word agony. Agone is the Greek word for the arena where they would have these contests. And these contests were so grueling and so tough and so difficult that if you actually entered that particular contest, it turned into the word agony. And so I'm assuring myself as I read this text and actually living my life, there are moments of faith that are agonizing. There are moments that are agonizing in faith. And uh, Paul says to his young protege, he says, Timothy, I want you to upscale. I want you to upskill your area of faith. And I want you to know there will be some times when faith is agonizing. 
There'll be some times when it is knuckle to knuckle, jaw to jaw, breath to breath with the enemy of your soul. There you will come face to face with fear. And I want you to know to fight the good, agonizing fight. We don't usually put agony with good. We don't usually connect those words. But brothers and sisters, there is an agony to the fight of faith. Just last week, as a family in our church laid to rest their 16-year-old son uh, who was deceased by uh, police action, and I watched, and, and uh, it was an agonizing thing. It was very agonizing. And mama stood right, sat right here because uh, on Friday was a family service. The funeral was on Saturday. And mama sat right here and leaned over the casket. She wanted one more night with her boy. There's come some place in your life where faith is an agony. There comes time when you look there and you cling to the old, I love that song, because sometimes you look at the old rugged cross. Sometimes you wear the old rugged cross as jewelry. Sometimes it's in gold. Sometimes it's in silver. Other times it's an old rugged cross and the only thing left to do is to cling in agony to that cross. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. Hey, can I tell you a quick cross story? It just entered my mind. Good. Nobody say no. Thank you. Uh, so my friend, Everett Stenhouse, he's going to look for some land down there in California. He's going to buy land for his new church. He gets a realtor. He thought, I should lead this realtor to Jesus. That's what I should do. I think I'll tell this realtor about Jesus. So he evangelizes. He tells the realtor about Jesus. The realtor says, nah, you know, I just... I just don't have time. I'm not into that religious stuff. He goes, but you probably know my grandpa. Well, who's your grandpa? Well, my grandpa wrote the song, The Old Rugged Cross. Can you imagine going from a grandpa who knows how to clean in agony to the cross to one and a half generations later, no time for God. Agonizing. The second, sometimes there's a fight of faith it's agonizing. The second word for, ag- for the fight of faith is grueling. 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 Have you ever tried to get a hold of God for something? You were praying, your knees hurt, your back hurt, your head hurt, your muscles hurt. You were praying and praying and praying. You were sweating as it were, drops of blood. You're in the middle of the fight. It seems more than you can handle. It seems more. But you know, if you turn back now, you've lost for sure. And you know that you have a sure word from God that those who endure to the end shall be victorious and overcomers. And so you stay in the grueling fight of faith. Now, I'm, I'm blessed to have a wonderful marriage. I love my family. I love my kids. I love my grandkids. I love my daughter-in-law, my son-in-law. But some of y'all, every day is a grueling fight for your marriage. 
Every moment is a grueling fight for the kid that just set their heart on disrupting everything in your home. We come together today and you could say, I'm just afraid to go home because I know what's there. Or we can get a promise from God and lay hold on the word of God and say, God, your word is a sure foundation. And you've said things like, train up a child in the way he should go. God, I'm, I'm clinging to your word. I'm trusting your promises. And you watch, God is never a debtor to anyone. He's always faithful to his word. And I encourage you, if you're in the good fight of faith, it might be grueling, but it's glorious. From grueling to glorious. Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, will he become your subjects? But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And he was talking with them. Goliath shouted. And the Philistine from Gath stepped out from his lines, shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. My topic today is that faith is fought in the trenches of what you hear and what you see. And you'll see in this passage of 1 Samuel 17, Goliath stands and shouts. So here you are in the middle of your life and your enemy is shouting at you. Here you are saying, you know what, I'm struggling with this fear-faith rivalry and, and I got this enemy that's shouting louder and louder and, and it's like he has a megaphone. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, uh, God whispers to us in our prayer, he does this and that, but he shouts to us in our pain. And sometimes your pain in your body is so incredibly unbearable, it shouts to you. Sometimes Job's wife shouts at you, curse God and die. Sometimes the enemy shouts to you, your daughter will never come out of drugs. She will never be in her right mind. He will never serve God. And the enemy of your soul takes on the role of Goliath and he gets up in your face and he shouts at you. He says in verse 10, I defy. Sometimes the enemy gets in our face and defies us, and it, they, that is a confrontation with assured power of resistance. Okay, I'm going to defy you, Goliath said, and I want you to know that any attempt you make, I am going to have the power of a nine-footer, and I am going to resist you with all the power of a nine-footer. Give me a man that we could fight. God said, you don't deserve a man. I'm giving you a boy. But nonetheless... To challenge to do something considered impossible. Something impossible. You stand there and you think, you know what? Maybe I'll try this. And they go, that's impossible. Well, you think, I think I have a new idea. And the enemy shouts to you, it's impossible. You step out and you say, you know, I'm going to finish that project. He says, it's impossible. I'm, I'm going to break the cycle. My grandpa was alcoholic. My dad was alcoholic. My brother's alcoholic. I guess I'll be alcoholic. And you say, you know what? I guess I'll break the cycle. I'm going to be the one dude who breaks the cycle. And he goes, it's impossible. 
It's impossible. Grandma had the BRCA gene and mom had the BRCA gene. And so I guess I'm condemned to the cancer that's caused by the BRCA gene. No, no, no. I, I think I'll break the cycle. I think I'll be cancer free. And the enemy stands in and says, impossible. It's a rivalry, this faith, fear, conundrum. There's always one standing there in your way to defy you. The first time I realized I had post-traumatic stress disorder, um, getting over it. Now I have post-traumatic stress. We're dropping the disorder part. Hey, praise God. Oh, man, when, uh, when I don't know how to explain it, but when your brain is fighting a fight that's 20 years old, it's not happening here. When you're reliving something that happened eight years ago, you're reliving something that happened uh, 35 years ago. In my case, fighting something. Uh, I couldn't sleep at night in any, in any place outside of my own home. I've been on missions trips for two weeks where I was awake two weeks straight. I can't sleep, right? And so I'm talking to my friend. He goes, uh, let's go down in the notes. Dr. Larry Severson, he said, Ken, it's not necessarily what happens around you that is of concern. My interest is in what you allow to happen in you. Right? So he, I say, I don't go. And I, I'm like, retreat. I didn't go. I, I stay home in my room, right? And I, I'm like, well, why am I not able to sleep out? And then I remember being three years old and every two hours they'd wake me up and they'd put the needle looked like it was that long and that big around. They'd put those needles in my arms and they'd strap my arms to boards with a surgical hose and they'd take blood and then they'd say, okay, go back to sleep. And then two hours later they'd come in and this time they'd poke a hole behind my knee and start an IV. They were trying to save my life, but my little three-year-old brain was perceiving it as an as a very fearful experience. And then to go through life, and we had a shooting here 30, uh, 30, 36 years ago in the middle of church. A guy came back there, and he was in a, a certain kind of suit and certain color, and he reached in his pocket, I thought, to get his tithe. Instead, he reached in his pocket to get his three fifty seven. And I won't go through all the details, so I don't relive the whole deal. But about eight years ago, seven years ago, I'm up here preaching, woo oh, Jesus is Lord. A guy comes in, stands in the same spot, wearing the same kind of suit. And he reaches in his pocket to get his tithe. But this time, I thought of the one before. I thought it was a 357. And if you remember, I couldn't even preach. I said, you know what? I just got to stop right now. Let's close. And everybody's like, what happened to Kent? What happened to Kent is the giant got up in my face and he said, you know what? I defy you. You're never doing this ever again. You're toast. You're history. You're anachronistic. You're, you're done, buddy. You can't even stand up and preach. And over time, I began to realize I can't control who reaches in their pocket to get their tithe and offerings. But by God's grace, I can control what it does inside me when somebody reaches into their pocket to get their tithe. Right? And so I'm not a stranger to having the enemy shout at me. I'm not a stranger at having him say, you know what? Nobody will follow a leader that has PTSD. I'm not a stranger. Why don't you just like change out and go back and be an architect? I'm not a stranger to his loud, Goliath, stinky breath shouting at me. But neither are you. That enemy gets up there in our soul and he says, I defy you. I defy you to do this. 
And we say, you know, I'm not in charge of what happens around me. But by God's grace, I can shape what happens inside me. Praise God. And so, by God's grace, we learn that the good fight of faith is shaped. I shape what happens inside me by what I hear and by what I say. The good fight of faith is shaped in the trenches. It's a fight. It's a grueling fight. Sometimes it's agonizing. But the thing that we learn to do in these moments, we learn to filter out our hearing only to that which builds our faith. Only to that which builds our faith. I'm not in charge of what you play. I'm not in charge of what's on your TV screen. I'm not in charge of the books you read. I'm not in charge of the music you listen to. I'm not in charge of all that. But what I am in charge of is where I put my ears to where I can hear what I need to hear to build my faith. Check this out. I don't need entertainment as much as I need my faith built. I'm telling you where I'm headed. If God gives us grace in the next months, we are headed, the Lord willing, to being a church where the acts of the apostles are happening today. And here's what's happening. They're not happening today the way we're doing it. They're not happening. Steve, how many miracles you have this week? Blaine, how many miracles you have this week? Jonathan, uh, Joel, all of us, how many have we had this week? It's not because God changed. It's because we need to press into a whole new level in God and say, God, I'm going to learn to hear what the Spirit's saying to the church, and I'm going to lay hold of that in Jesus' name. I have a suspicion that if we can get ourselves motivated to pray, the coronavirus in Anchorage, Alaska will be the excuse God uses to sweep hundreds of people into the kingdom in two weeks at heaven's gates and hell's flames. But not if we're hearing the wrong voice. If they say you can only have 10 people in a gathering, we're going to do a lot of heaven's gates. I'll tell you what. Like eight, nine, you're done. We'll do like 32 of them in a row every day. Praise God. We got to control what we hear, brothers and sisters. The most important verse of the Old Testament, many of you have it memorized. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That says... You need to hear the word of God all day, every day, everywhere, nonstop, no break. Yeah, it's so, it's so powerful, actually, to read how God thinks we should interact with what he has to say. It's so powerful. So, what do they call that? Sunk cost? No, market cost? What's the cost that, in economics, you spend $100 on your bike, so your bike cost you $100, but it also cost you the cost that you didn't buy the stock that tripled? Opportunity cost. Thank you. I should probably take economics again. That was like 35 years, no more than that, 40 years ago. But anyways, the opportunity cost. You say, you know what? I'm just enjoying myself a little... What can I pick on without getting in trouble? Cooking channel. 
See it. Bam! Isn't it funny how food tastes really good that's on a TV? You can't even see it. Bam! He says, you go, oh, I want some of that. You know, it probably tastes like cardboard. We don't know. It's a TV show. It's plastic for all we know. So it costs you an hour of your time. But the opportunity cost for the word and prayer and ministry is so much more significant. All right, seeing you don't like me talk about your TV, let's go to point number two. We are determined to filter our seeing to see that which builds faith. Praise God. I've made a covenant with mine eyes on where I'm going to look. Looking is very, very important. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Right? It's very, very important. And in this generation, uh, I'm not generation, but in this whole virus thing, if I promise you this. If you've been reading your word instead of CNN, Newt Fox, whatever else, I don't even know whatever's out there. I don't watch the news, haven't watched the news in many years. Whatever it is, I don't know where you get your input. I guarantee you this. If you were in the word, then you were not hoarding toilet paper. Because your lungs aren't there. You know what I'm talking about? You would not be doing that. But because everybody hears the same talk, we get the same fear, and we live out a life of fear rather than to have the word of the Lord. If you were just hanging out, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory, you'd be saying, Lord, what I need is your glory because the riches are in the glory, no glory, no riches, and you'd be hanging out in the word saying, God, I need your glory, I need your glory, I need your glory, Lord. Are you tracking with me just a little bit? Are you saying, Kent, are you asking us to be extreme? Yes, be extreme Christians. The world's filled of non-extreme ones. We don't need any more non-extreme ones. We need extreme Christians. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things seen. Right? It's your eyes. You have evidence. So basically what that is saying is you see what you can't see. You already see it. You're living by faith. You see it. So some, some school teacher lady won an award. I, I should have looked up the story so I can give you the details. But anyways, they gave her a class where everybody failed for like 800 years. Just, it was the worst class on the planet. She just, everybody failed. And uh, they put her in that class to teach, and everybody succeeded. Did really well. And so they said to her, they said, uh, uh, what'd you do? She goes, well, nothing. I just held a crown over their head and watched them grow into it. In other words, she saw them as growing into a crown. Other teachers evidently had, saw, had seen them as failing. And the difference is astounding. The difference is astounding in our lives. Say, so, you know what? I can see the unseen. It seems like an oxymoron. But it's not an oxymoron. When God has done it in his divine providence and you see it, then it has already been done by God and you see it in advance before anybody else sees it. If you make it up, it's useless. But when God shows it to you, it means it's a done deal. It's the evidence of things not seen. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured. How? As seeing him who is invisible. As seeing him who is invisible. 
I've been praying quite a bit for our church in Burkina Faso, uh, where they're under persecution, great persecution there. And uh, I've been praying for them. And some stories from childhood. Maybe you know some of them, Pastor Martin. I, I don't even know the locations. It's been so long since I, I heard the stories. But is this. A bunch of crazy people came to a Christian school in Africa to kill the and some of the residents in the school and take the students as hostages. And when they got there, it was surrounded by angelic beings with flaming swords. And the terrorists went home defeated because the angels of the Lord had encamped around about them. Right? So... so I don't think the kids saw the angels. To my recollection of the story, nobody inside saw. But what happened is the enemy saw the armies of God defending. To see that which is invisible. To say, you know what? Other people see this as impossible. I see it as God's working a great miracle in my life. Other people see it as a definite don't, but I see it as a definite invitation of God into his greatness. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Invisible. Well, I got five suggestions and we'll close. Number one, I want to suggest that you filter what you hear and see by worshiping the Lord in song out loud everywhere. How many of you are comfortable just breaking out in song at uh, Walmart? Yeah, I haven't been seeing you all do that, so I'm not sure. I'm in, in the bathroom, in the stall by myself. There is something powerful about worshiping the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's why I wanted to meet today. I needed to hear your voice, and I wanted you to hear the voice next to you. I wanted to hear you sing that nothing is impossible. We're getting ready to sing God is so good. I wanted you to hear other people sing God is so good. And I want you, when you're in the doctor's office, when you're in the lawyer's office, when you're in the judge's chamber, when you're seeing a car drive and come in your lane headed your way, I want you at the drop of a hat to be able to say, I were. Worship you, Almighty God. There is none like you to be able to go. I worship you. I want you at the drop of a hat to be able to go to your place of worship. I think of this song in relationship to America today. Peace, peace, wonderful peace. Coming down from the Father above, sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. I've busted out in that song when my plane was... One time I was on a plane, and my sister and I were on the plane. We were flying from uh, Tehran to Istanbul. We were flying from... Uh, no, we're going the other way, from Istanbul to Tehran. And they just set my... I ordered hot tea, and my sister ordered something to drink, and we hit turbulence, and everybody's plates went up and hit the ceiling, and, and, and it just... The plane's like, bam, bam, bam. I think there's five levels of turbulence. This had to be like 4.6 or something. It was incredible. And I thought, here we go. Goodbye, sis. Peace, peace. 
Wonder. Instantly, I was back in the place of worship. Can I tell you my favorite story of this one? Phone rings. They say, can't... Uh, we have a baby that was just born, and they know about your ministry. They're from a village. They've heard you on tape, and they've heard you on this, that, and the other thing. And, and they just want to know if you'd come by. Say, yeah, what's the situation? Well, her baby's about to be born, and the baby's muscles have no elasticity. I said, okay, I never heard of this. Oh, well, basically, in short, Pastor, uh, the baby will only live 45 minutes because the heart muscle has no elasticity the lungs have no elasticity nothing works so when this baby's born mama's going to get 45 minutes I said I'll be right there I jump in my car drive to Providence go to the maternity unit there's this wonderful little mom holding her uh, brand new baby weeping in a rocking chair it was emotional and then maybe the nicest thing everybody, anybody has ever done for me in the history of my life happened. She said, would you like to hold him? And I got two minutes out of 45 minutes. That's a big gift. So I sit in the rocking chair. I'm thinking, poor mom. God, what do I do? Peace, peace, wonderful peace. Tears start coming down my cheeks. Mama's crying, I'm crying. But the peace of God was in the room. Some days the reasoning won't work. Some days the education doesn't help. Some days the only thing that gets her done is worship. Sing it with me one more time. Peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep Spirit, forever I pray in fathomless billows of love. I'm going to take just a moment. Lay hold of that. You came today, no peace. Lay hold of that. Fight the good fight of faith and lay hold to that provision of eternal life. Praise God. Peace to your people, oh God. Peace to your people. Read the Bible out loud. Just write out loud. Read it out loud. Number three, turn off non-faith sounds and sights. Just say, you know what? That's not building my faith right now. I'm in charge of what happened inside me. I'm out of here. Just surround yourself with faith talk. Praise God. You know, this week, the Lord just reminded me something that kind of made me laugh because I love the story of the boat and the storm and Jesus calming the sea. I love that. It's just really cool. But the Lord laid something different on my heart. 
He said, your job, Kent, is not to calm the storm for your people right now. Your job is to help your people be asleep in the front of the boat in the middle of the storm. So I'm your sleep doctor today. In the storm of your life, because of Jesus, you can just go to sleep like a baby. You can rest in the storm. Because A, Jesus is in the boat. B, Jesus created the elements the boat is in. And C, he's got it all under control. Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And share the testimonies of God's strong action. Thank you, Brian, for such a spectacular ministry last weekend. The blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony. They love lot their lives even unto death. So it's a rivalry. Fear says I'm powerless. Faith says I am, but he is all powerful. Fear says I'm not enough. Faith said Jesus is enough. Transform from glory to glory. Faith says he can. Fear says I will never change. Faith says I'm being transformed from glory to glory. Fear says death. And faith says he that believeth on me shall never die. Fear says shame. And faith says grace. Fear says fear. And faith says faith. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. Praise God. Praise God. Let's all stand, please. So on behalf of all the ministries of MCA, I think I might be able to speak for Chi Alpha. I'm not really a leader there in any way, but on behalf of all the ministries of MCA, We're expecting God to do the greatest work through our faith we've ever seen in the history of our church. We're not not even remotely walking in fear. We're walking in faith. And we're expecting God to bust out acts again. We're expecting it to happen. Pastor Martin laid the... You spoke five Sunday nights on on prayer. And uh, we've had prayer meetings 7 a.m. and 6 p.m. They're going to continue up until Resurrection Sunday. We're expecting God to just break out in faith in this land, uh, like the Malden Community Assembly land, like we've never seen before. Would you open up the bread of your cup, please? And on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. Take, eat. Lord, I just want to rest for just a second in the peace of your broken body. Because the peace of your broken body, it says this, and the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And the reason I can say peace, peace, wonderful peace is because of the body this bread represents. Because if there's a fire and somebody's inside about to burn to death, I don't run away, Lord willing, I have the faith to run into the fire and rescue the perishing. Jesus ran into a whole world on fire and rescued us each and every one whose faith is in him. 
My peace is on you. When I take a glance at Jesus, I don't see any worry on your face. I don't see any anxiety. I don't see any, any uh, wringing of the hands. I don't see any anxiety. When I look at you, Jesus, I see the Prince of Peace. And my peace comes from you through this body that I hold in my hand. Would you repeat after me? I let it go. And I receive your peace. Let's eat together the bread. And Lord, after supper, you took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant written in my blood which is shed for you Lord may I not be the grandson so far from the cross may I always be close to you Jesus I thank you for your life I thank you for your health I thank you for your healing I thank you for your forgiveness I thank you for your sacrifice your redemption your propitiation I thank you God for all of that and those are just complicated ways of saying Jesus I love you please say it with me Jesus I love you Jesus I love you and I receive the life It's about to come into my body through recollecting the work of Jesus on the cross. Lord, the blood and the body represent also physical healing for my friend's wife who has coronavirus, for the 1,400 churches that have been closed of ours in Italy, for Iran, people that are saved and sanctified and fighting this. For the Christian family who's their husband, the doctor who discovered the virus and nobody listened to him at the time. Thank you for his service. We remember his family. They're, they're our family. They're Christian family. We pray for the Christians in Korea that are under attack. We pray, oh God, my alma mater is not far from the, uh, the, the rest home, the care facility in Kirkland. I pray, God, that as we look to the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, we honor the fact that we have friends that we love who are in a big battle, some for their lives, and we remember them today. Let us drink together the cup. Lord, for those that have yet to place their trust in Jesus for salvation, See, I've been checking it out a little bit, and I just kind of, my friend calls it, I've been window shopping church. I've just been walking by looking in the window. Today, several people are ready to say, I'm, I'm going to move out of the window shopping, and I'm going to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. I'm going to receive his salvation. Uh, my buddy calls it giving Jesus the steering wheel of your life. I'm going to say, Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, I surrender. Jesus, I repent in my own life. I, I turn from my uh, self-seeking ways. I turn from leading my own life. I turn to trusting in you. Lord, I pray that 
we would all celebrate those that are coming to faith. We celebrate those that are uh, having their confidence placed in Jesus. And so, God, I pray that you would help me turn from my wicked ways. I ask you to help me repent from sin. I ask you to give me grace to trust in you for salvation. I put Jesus, in another illustration, I put Jesus on the throne of my heart. If my heart's a kingdom, Jesus is king. I do that today now in Jesus' name.